Well, good morning, everybody. Man, I don't know if you guys heard it. You probably do, or I don't, I don't hear them right now, but, but often during the service, I hear, I hear the kids worshiping over here. You ever hear that? I love it. It's, it is just like an amazing sound. You know, we first moved the children's facilities over to that area. If you didn't know, that used to be our office entrances. And then down that hall, back in the good old, you know, 90s and 2000s, there was, you know, all these offices, and everybody had phone lines with wires running everywhere and all kind of stuff. And now, you know, times have changed. We didn't need that. So we shifted things. We put the kids over there. We have the nursery there on that side now, and they're all secure on one wing. And, and what it did was it, it caused, well, some noise. <laughs> we can hear them now, right? But, but over the years, it's become one of the sweetest sounds, uh, well, for me, and I'm sure for many of you as well, because it speaks, it speaks to the legacy audibly that Church on the North Coast has created uh, as a foundation for not just, you know, ourselves, but our children for generations. You know, when 40 or so plus years go by of ministry, I think it's 50 years this year, 50 years of ministry go by, you know, there's some stories to tell. There's some, there's some things that have been built, that have been established. You see, you see time as, as, as a measure uh, for, for consistency, and it's the consistency of you all. So I was, I'm just doting on you a little bit if I can. I, we pulled in the other day uh, to church on Wednesday night. This is past Wednesday night, and I shared a little bit of this story. My sons, who are seven and nine, Lou and, and Benjamin, they, they always, you know, they, they're kids. They ask, like, great questions, right? Like, just out of nowhere. I don't know what they were thinking or where their little brains were, but we pulled into the parking lot that evening, and typically we'll park in the back. Well, this time around, we parked in the front. I wanted to just kind of look at things in the evening and see what, what, was, what, what was what, you know, lighting and all that kind of stuff. And so we pulled in and I, I made a big lap around the parking lot and they began to ask me questions, probably because I was, you know, just doing laps or what, what I'm doing. Well, Dad, who, who, who did, what was here before? What was this before, before this, before the church? And I'm like, well, it was just a, a big field as far as I can remember. There was some houses here. I think before that it was, well, more homes and a farm, right? I think that was what I was told. There was a farm here and like, well, how did, how did it go from, from, from that to, to the church? Like, when did that happen? I said, well, you know, there's, there's lots of people who contributed to that. It was a, it was a building program, and, and I started pointing out the facilities a little further north. If you didn't know, I, there's a school there, and the church before that, there's, we call it Building One. Uh, you know, there's, there's some stories there. So I started to share with them who, who did that. And, of course, for, their, for them, it's, it's Papa, right? Like, Papa, Papa built that, right? I'm like, well, yeah, he was a part of it. He was there, but even before Papa, there was a, a group of people who came together and, and began to establish the testimony of Jesus Christ in this area, in, in this area in Lorraine. And, and then they built this, and I was telling them a little bit about Elder Jim Johnson and some others that, you know, came together and, and helped build that. And, you know, Cordy's are sitting here looking at me, and they were there. There's, man, there's so many faces in here. But, but what I wanted to tell you and why I'm sharing it with you is because I'm here, and many of you are here today, because... You have committed yourselves to a legacy of faith that, that has withstood the test of time. And that is, that is incredibly powerful. So as I was able to tell my sons that story, it, it just made me feel like the proudest dad um, and, and, and member of Church on the North Coast because it, it said for me that, that they have <clears throat> a history um, that, that is long-lasting, that is established, that's rich, and, and then I came into the building. We had this awesome worship experience. And then I heard them worshiping this morning. And I'm like, and they will have, they will have a new chapter 
that their sons and their daughters will, will experience because you all have decided firmly that the undeniable testimony of Jesus will be established, will be shared, will be, will be preached, will be taught, will be experienced in this region, in this community, in this state, in this world. And man, that's powerful. So if, if we can, can I, can I just say thank you? Can you give it like yourselves and everybody around? It's, I just want to take a moment and tell you how powerful you guys are. It's amazing, and it's, it's a really special thing to be able to be here this morning, to be a part of Church on the North Coast. And if you're visiting, that's just a quick snapshot of, of, of my, our hearts. I think we share a lot of the same sentiments. So I'm kind of speaking on behalf of many who are here today and maybe aren't uh, in, the, in the building, but, uh, but have established Church on the North Coast. That's what you're sitting in and under today, um, is the history and the, and the legacy of those who have come before us and said, man, Jesus is going to be priority. And this is something special. It's really special. You know, there's, there's just so many folks. Thank you, guys. Um, well, this morning, I want to shout out a few people, too. I know there's some birthdays. Barbara, where are you at? There you are. You had a birthday this past week. I love you, Barbara. Happy birthday. And Kristen, you're right behind her. You have a birthday today. Tomorrow. Happy birthday. Yeah, you guys are awesome. And Peggy, where, where's Peggy this morning? She. She's, she's oh, but Peggy, Peggy's got a birthday tomorrow as well, right? And there's a bunch of birthdays in the room, but I just want to tell you I love you. Happy birthday. We're celebrating with you. Yeah, give them a round. Come on. That's great. And to, those, and to those who aren't here with us this morning because they're dealing with illness, man, I was out last week. I, I'm, I have been so blessed this year, and even before this year, this last like six months, I was telling a friend, I'm like, man, I've been so good. Like, I haven't gotten sick. I'm totally fine. I was in, I was in like the greatest this run of feeling good, like every day. I was doing the right things or whatever. And last week, it just punched me in the gut. Like I got, I got a good. And everybody's, well, well, that's what happens when you jump in the lake in, in, in January. I'm like, it's not because of that, okay? It's not because of that. But, but I did, I went down. And then this morning, this morning we got the call, Elder Burris, my, my nephew Jeremiah, and then Pastor Dion, they went down this week. So that's why he wasn't here. Music team, you, you guys did an amazing job covering for him. It was absolutely flawless. But they're home this week, so we're blessing them. We want to tell you we love you. We're praying for you guys. Um, and then in, uh, um, Brother Tom Evans. Hey, listen, if you didn't know, Brother Tom was dealing with some things, and he's home. Amen. He's home and he's recovering. That was a, a long, hard-fought road for him. And uh, man, he's home and he's doing wonderful. Uh, there's some others too that I want to bring. Lillian, Lillian Green, I love you. I just want to let you know we're praying for you. And, and David Hale, we love you. I, I am just so like overcome with the support. You're here. I see you back there. I love you. I just, I'm just praying for you. I, you know, I, I love all you guys. And anybody in the room, family, you know, we, we have such an incredible family of faith, a community of faith. We are praying for you, uh, not just in our thoughts, right? But, but right now, right here, Jesus' name, you are healed. You are covered. And there are, there are more than two or three here gathered this morning standing on the foundation that Jesus' blood was shed for your healing. And we're agreeing with that this morning. So we bless you. We call you healed. We call you blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, how many of you know that God is the alpha and the Omega. Yeah, man. He is the beginning and the end. If he's all of that, he certainly knows your beginning. He certainly knows your end. And what he did was he created you with a spectacular vision for your life. He created you with a, 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 laid, out, a laid out 
mega vision for your life. And so for many of us, we have to begin to get to our place where he, he, is, he is going to, uh, we are going to embrace that fulfillment of goodness of that vision in our life. We've got to work ourselves into that, right? There's lots of opportunities in our life to, to think to ourselves like, man, it's just not, I, I had a vision for myself and this is where I was going and it's just not getting there. Like this has happened and that has happened. But, but the promise that Jesus made you when he, when, when he created you is, is still there. It's still there. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It doesn't matter what other people have told you. The bottom line is this, is that when Jesus made you, when the Alpha and the Omega, when the beginning and the end constructed you and weaved you in the palm of his hand, that vision never has gone away. Life's experiences, the situations and circumstances that you've gone through have created for you an illusion in your mind that, man, what I was promised once, what I thought would happen once is no longer for me. But I'm here to tell you this morning that it still exists, that the promise of Jesus in your life is still firmly in place, and he's looking for you to grab a hold of it this morning. You ready to, look, you ready to find it? Yeah, let's do it. Well, there's only one requirement to it, and here it is. You, you have to become fearless. You have to become fearless because the vision that God has for your life doesn't look like what your vision for your life is. It, it's going to require you to let go of what you think should be happening in your life at this current moment. The reality of where you're at right now has oftentimes become, you know, maybe at a younger age or at a moment when you met Jesus for the first time, or maybe you don't know him at all, but, but the point would be you, 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 have, you, have, you, have, you have bought into an idea that, that what the world has told you, that what you have heard, that what you've been taught is what you should be, right? And so we grab onto these ideals and we pursue them, and oftentimes what we find is when we achieve them, somehow, some way, there's still this unfulfilled passion in our lives where we're questioning, well, I've got this achieved now. Here's my certificate. It's hanging on the wall. Check my bank account. It's going good. I married the girl of my dreams and everything's great. But somehow, some way, I still feel like there's something that's missing from my life. And I, don't, I feel bad about it, right? I'm blessed. But something just, just ain't right. It's not exactly what I'm supposed to be. What it will require from you is to let go of the idea of what you're thinking, what you're doing, where you're at, is what it is that God had planned for your life. It requires you to be fearless. An unclear godless, if you will, an unclear vision for your life will lead to, lead to some things. It'll lead to indecision. It'll leave you unsure. It'll leave you stuck. It'll leave you worried. It creates a lack of commitment. You ever felt like that in your life where you just, you're, you're kind of in, you're not really in, you're not really sure? An understanding of, of your vision for your life without God in it will create indecision in your life. James 1a says, double-minded people can't make up their minds. They waver back and forth in everything that they do. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? I felt like that. I, I think I kind of feel like that all the time. I'm always wavering back and forth. It's like, I'm not really sure. But then, I, but then I recognize in my relationship with Jesus, the moments when I'm decisive, right, when I know what I'm doing, it often comes as a result of my, my, my intimacy or my, my, uh, my following of where Jesus is going. It's just me saying, God, what should I do? 
What, what do you want from me to do today or this week, this year? What are, what are your goals? Instead of what are my goals, what are your goals for my life? Let me just be quiet for a minute and listen and understand from you what it is that you have planned for my life. And suddenly indecision, it's not so indecisive anymore. It'll also create division. It'll split you in two. It'll create a frustration in your life that, that seemingly everything you do like you thought it was the way, you thought it was the plan, and it's like, this just isn't it. Why is this happening to me? I thought for sure this was the case. Well, when you're taking advice from other people or you're reading about what other people have done or you're, you're pursuing things that you think you should be doing, it creates a lot of division within yourself. It divides you away from what God is telling you that he has planned for you. It'll do another thing. It'll create collision. Oh, man. How many people do you know or how many times in your life have you just been one of those types of people where it's like there's just always drama, always some kind of issue. Some, something's always wrong, right? Like you go up to ask somebody, how you doing? Like somebody that, that is in collision mode, they'll tell you. Like be careful about asking people how you doing because they'll come, they'll come find you and be like, man, let me tell you, this is wrong and that is wrong and this person did that and that person did this. Like listen, clearly, Clearly, you are not in tune with the vision that God has for your life. You, you are colliding. You are, you are, you are, you are at, at, at odds with what God is telling you to do, what he is offering up for you. You are, you are not attached to what it is he's having. These are the things that happens when we have an unclear vision of what it is God has planned for our lives. The Israelites enslaved for over 400 years. It's a great example. For over 400 years, God frees them. He sets, he sets them free. He delivers them. And as they're delivered, celebration ensues, right? But quickly after, if you know the story, suddenly, man, things start getting a little scratchy, right? What, 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 wait, what, what were we? Hold on a second. Like, I get it that we're free, but now we're here. We're wandering in the desert. We're lost. I'm not quite sure this is, was a good idea. Like I thought it was at the moment, but now I'm thinking to myself, this might not have been the plan that God had for us. Or I don't know if I agree with what was taking place. The trust just kind of, kind of, kind of goes out the window. Well, what did Moses do? They were, they were in the process of being free, right? They're wandering. God made a promise to them that I have a designated land for you that's going to be rich. That's going to bless you. It is the land I promised you, filled with milk and honey. Go and trust me and believe me and go find it. You, you, we can do this. I got you. And sign after sign along that way, God provided over and over again. You would think the miracles that took place, manna falling from heaven, fire following you, water splitting in two. I mean, escaping scenarios that were just so unbelievable that you would think after all of that, it would be enough to keep you convinced at least for a few months. But no, 40 years, 40 years of questioning whether or not the vision of God for your life will leave you enslaved even sometimes after they were collided, right? Their, their sight was destroyed. So here's what happened. Moses, they get to the point where Moses sends out a vision team. He sends out a group of people, 12 people representing the tribes of Israel and says, listen, go to the land that God has promised us. I want you to go get a report on it. I want you to find out what's going down there. And here's what it says. Moses gave these men instructions as he sent them out to explore the new land. Go northward through the Negev into the hills in the country and see what the land is like. He wants to know, 
What's the land like? What's the soil like? What's the water like? What's the temperature like? What's the topography look like? How do we get to here? How do we get to there? Who's there? What, what are they doing there? What's, what's going down in that area? Go there, find out, bring me back the report because we need to plan to take what God has promised us. We need to make a plan for this. So before we go, I want you to go out and I want you to find out and come back and report to me. Well, he sends 12 and what happens? All 12 come back. Who is there first, I imagine? The 10, the 10 out of the 12 that came back with a negative report. They came back with their boots shaking, man. They were scared. They ran into some things out there that were pretty cool, that were pretty awesome, right? They came back, they're carrying fruit on sticks so big they can't even hold on to them, right? They've got figs and fruit and water, and they tell stories of how abundant things are, how rich the soil is, how beautiful the scenery is. But it's not too long before they're like, oh, that's fine and good. But first, we should tell you, we should tell you it ain't, it's not going to be possible. <laughs> there's, there's literal giants that live there. There are people there that look at us like we are grasshoppers, like literally. We, we would be destroyed. We would be crushed. There's two just two out of the 12, Joshua and Caleb. And this is how I picture it, right? Like what, what, what news usually travels the fastest? It's bad news. <laughs> People love them some bad news. And when you find out something bad, what do we typically do? Don't tell somebody if you do it, but typically you're like, ooh, I'm gonna go tell somebody. I'm gonna let them know what they did. I'm gonna let them know what's going on. So here come these 10 these 10 scouts, they're running back to tell Moses how bad things are going to be, how it's not going to work out. While everything's rich and everything's beautiful and everything's great, this is not going to be for us. It's not going to be for me. And what I imagine is Joshua and Caleb, they were, they, were, they were coming in a little bit slower because what they saw was something different from what the other 10 saw. What they saw was a promise. I imagine their sight, their view of things was so overwhelmed by the promise of Jesus that they had, that when others saw giants, they saw nothing. <laughs> when, when others saw uh, oh, thick, big, huge walls and gates that were impenetrable, they saw nothing more than a little step up and over, a little kick through the door, and then they would be able to enter. Their focus was on the promise of what God had given them which is that they would occupy a land rich, flowing with milk and honey, that they would have all the things that God had promised them, that their ancestors who died and were enslaved for years, hundreds of years, would be given the promise and the fulfillment of God in their life. They came back with stories of glory. They came back with stories of conquering. They came back with stories explaining to everybody that, listen, God has exactly what he promised for us. There is no doubt in my mind that we can do this. Here's what will happen when we look at the vision that God has for us in fear. We're going to give you a quick breakdown on what it looks like when you're in fear. Number one, it says it'll, it'll overemphasize the negative in my life. When we're looking at the vision that God has for us in a fearful mindset, it'll overemphasize the negative in our life. The 10, the 12 that went, 10 were going there with a fearful mindset. 
They were unsure. They had heard rumors of who had occupied the land. And when they got their eyes on it, before they could even, immediately their focus was on the negative. Immediately their focus was on the negative. They were overcome by a false idea. They weren't grasping the vision of God. There's an incredible story about Ulysses S. Grant that I read. As a young soldier, he was somewhere down in Texas and, and they were having to get back and report uh, to, to the base. It was in Corpus Christi and they were about 70 miles or so from that spot. Well, you know, when it's time to report in the military, you have to get to where you're going on time or you'll be, you'll be reported as like, as a, 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 a AWOL, right? So, so he can't do that. You, 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 you got to get to where you're supposed to be at the time you're supposed to be there. So they had a choice. They could either be, and this was back in the day, like there were no, there were no cell phone calls, right? There was nobody letting anybody know like what was going down. There were some situations that took place, but they were, they were at a point where they had to make a decision. Do they go AWOL or do they cut the corner and take a shortcut through a dangerous land filled with, you know, wild animals, uncharted territory? We're talking about, you know, some serious stuff back in the day. Well, they made the decision to take the hard route. They wanted to ensure that all of them, their crew, their men were at the place they were supposed to be at the time they were supposed to be there. So they took a route uncharted. And along the way, the two leaders, Ulysses and another, another more veteran uh, general, lieutenant or whatever he was, they, 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 they began to lead the, the, the team into this wilderness. Shortly after they got into, the, into their route, they started to hear, you know, all the things surrounding them. Specifically, they were surrounded by wolves, the story said. And fear began to settle in. Doubt became to settle in. Ulysses wrote in his journal at one point, no doubt the wolves that surround us could not only take out us and our men, but all of our horses and cattle and everything else we have with us as well. There's no way we're ever going to make it through this. A scared Ulysses S. Grant turned to the more grizzled, experienced soldier and said, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm not nervous or anything, but I'm wondering, what, what do you think? Like, how, many, how many wolves do you think there are? I mean, you know, probably not that many, but how, how many do you think? And with a little smirk on his face, the man turned around and said, probably 20, 25, quite a few. It's, the, it's a serious situation, but he turned and he kept on going, right? It's one of those moments where you're thinking like, I really want to turn around, but I'm not going to do it, so I'm going to see if I can get him to do it. <laughs> I'm going to get the other person to do it, and then it won't be my fault. Well, it wasn't long after that that the men stumbled upon the pack of wolves that were following them. What they realized at that moment, bewildered, is that really there wasn't 20, there wasn't 25, there were two. <laughs> there were just two wolves. In their mind, the fear created by what they had heard had become so over-exaggerated that it almost caused them to turn around. And I'll skip you the long history lesson, but imagine the idea, the possibility, if you know anything about Ulysses S. Grant, a key player in the Union Army in the Civil War, a president. Had he turned around at that moment and went AWOL, where does the future go? What takes place in the history of America? The same goes for the Israelites, if not but for two men. Had they not been able to see what it was that God was telling them, had they gone with the advice of the 10 that were fearful, that were overestimating the situation in their life, where would they have been? Where would we be? He was recorded as saying this just 40 years later in one of his journals. There is always more of them 
before they are counted. Isn't it true? Like the fear in our lives, the things in our lives, the circumstances in our lives, the people, the opposers in our life, it's like they're such a huge deal. Oh my gosh, listen to these naysayers. They're, they're coming back at me. They're really hitting me hard. I don't really know. Man, it must be a whole group of them. Like, man, if you just step back for a moment and you, and you look at really who's go, what's going on, there, there's really only two. It's, you got all this support. Look at all these people around. Look at all these people that want to support you, that want to tell you, listen, you can do it. You can get there. We've overemphasized, we've over-exaggerated the fear in our lives and it's held us back. This is when the 10 rushed back to Moses to report the bad news and they said, the bad news, it always travels better than good news. Um, this was the verse. It says uh, in Numbers 13, 27, this was their report to Moses. We arrived in the land to sent, that you sent us to see and it was indeed a magnificent country, a land flowing of milk and honey, and there were some, and here is some fruit of proof, proof, uh, some fruit as proof, but the people living there are powerful, and their cities and towns are fortified and very large. We also saw descendants of Anakim, they're giants, descendants of Anak. Those are the people that are living there. There's no way that they can, this can take place. An over exaggeration of the fear that they're facing in their life. Number two, we pay attention to what others are doing. What a, what a horrible way to look at what it is that God has for your life. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like, man, the Lord is really speaking to me. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to say. This is how I'm supposed to do it. And suddenly you start looking around and there's others doing the same thing. There's others saying the same thing. You're like, man, there's already somebody else out there doing it. They're doing it way better than me. They're more important than me. They have more followers than I do. Right, what, what, what does little old me have to really bring to the table? I, I, I don't, I can't, I can't do it. I don't, I, I can't, I, I'm, gonna stay, I'm gonna stay back here in my spot. I don't wanna actually step out and put myself out there and try to do something that God's told me to do. We were paying attention to others, what other people are doing around us. It'll stifle and stop us from getting to where it is God calls us to be. In Numbers 13, 29, it says, the Amicalites live in Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea. Where else are we gonna go? There's no more room for me. When we're paying attention to what other people are doing, we stop what it is that God's called us to do because we think to ourselves, man, there's just no more room for me. I won't make a difference. We don't even have a place to go with this, so I'm just gonna give up before I even start. Number three, we underestimate the abilities that God has given us. Man, that's a huge, huge factor in our lives. Find like, somebody right next to you right now and you just tell them, Tell them, say, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And then tell them, he made me for this. He made me for this moment. The yes, I can attitude goes so far. God has made you for this very moment. Here's what it said. But the men who had gone up with Caleb said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. The reality is that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Already before they even went out to do what it is God told them to do, they're telling everybody, we can't do this. It's not possible. You know, when I was a young man, it was crazy. This is like a story that stuck with me forever. I was, I don't know, nine, eight, nine, ten years old, something like that. Well, in my neighborhood right over here in Lorraine on Princess Anne, we had this piece of land behind all the houses. It was just undeveloped woods. It was the coolest little thing. It had a creek going behind it. In fact, it was called Nottingham Woods. If you know Robin Hood, like 
This was, this was like a childhood dream. And the only thing that sat there was a big, giant wooden sign that said Nottingham Woods. And we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Well, across this creek was an old rickety bridge somebody built. I don't know, years ago, whatever. So we would always ride our bikes across it. And over the years, you know, the thing started to kind of do one of these. And so at that point, it, it wasn't so much of a deterrent as much as it was a challenge now, right? So, like, you just had to ride the hide side of the bridge and get over top of it. And below it was probably, I don't know, five, six, seven or foot or so drop water and rocks and whatever else. And one rainy afternoon, the, the wood all slimy, you know, from whatever. And it, it, we, we got up on there and everybody made it across. And earlier that day, before I went outside, here's what I said to my mom. You know, I've always been curious, like maybe a friend or something. I don't know why I said this, but maybe a friend or somebody broke something, a bone, and I thought it was cool. I don't know. I'm like, I wonder what it would be like to break my arm. Like, why? Why would you want to know what it's like to break your arm? I don't know. I just, whatever. You, do, you think dumb things when you're a kid. Like, I probably saw somebody with a cast, and I'm like, I want one so everybody can sign mine. <laughs> Not knowing or understanding the pain you have to go through to get all those pointless signatures. So I say to my mom, I wonder what it's going to be like, to, what it would be like if I ever broke my arm. And hours later, I go outside, and here's the bridge. We cross it every single day. A little more wet than normal, a little more slippery than normal, whatever. Everybody gets across. I ride the high side, and bam, like right off of the bridge, fall into the water. And what happens? I break my arm. It's ridiculous. You know, I go to the hospital, come back, do all this stuff. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, I'm telling you right now, from that day on. Like, I don't remember much. I was just joking with Brian earlier. I'm like, man, I have such a compartmentalized mind. I got to get through my day. I got like... I got boxes, everything fits in. And when I'm done, it's got to go. I got to make more room for what's coming next. But that, but that experience has never left me. And I, I try my darndest every day to make sure that the words coming out of my mouth are positive. I don't want to know nothing about injuries. I don't want to know nothing about lack. I don't want to know nothing about it, like, uh, health. You know, when my, when my mom says things like, only let goodness come out of your mouth. <laughs> don't speak evil. Speak words of good. I'm like, amen. None of that. I got more than enough. I am healed. Right? Somebody starts saying something negative. I'm like, nah, I don't want to partake. I'm like, let me tell you a story. When I was eight years old, they're like, we've heard it. We've heard it. I'm like, It's real. <laughs> It's real. Don't ask for it. You'll get it. How many people remember Job? He did exactly that. In Job 3.25, he said, what I've always feared has happened to me. What I have dreaded has come to be. We got to get out of our own way. Fear becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is what they said in Numbers. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw giants there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They were already speaking so negatively, they were setting themselves up for a self-fulfilling prophecy, creating an opportunity for the devil to infiltrate what God had planned, the vision that he had planned for the greatness of his people. This is what was taking place. They were already predicting that they would be crushed by their enemy. Number four, we infect others with negativity. Oh, man, your bad attitude will jump on me so quick. Like, get away from me. Go away. <laughs> I want to hear about it. I mean, I get it. Like, look, there's sometimes when I just got to have a brother to, to lean on, right? Like, sisters, you need your girl. I'm so I am so, can I just be honest? I'm so jealous of y'all, the fearless ladies. 
that was amazing. Over 200 women gathering, like getting down. I've already said it before, like I want your name. I know we're courageous men and that's awesome. There's so many good men. But fearlessness is so great. But when you get around people, you need the people that you can rely on sometimes. But man, when, when you start sharing your negativity with other people, it's infectious. It's as infectious as it is positive, right? Like being around positive people makes me positive. Being around negative people makes me negative. It's an incredibly contagious thing. They spread a bad report number, the Bible says, about the land they had explored. They immediately got back. They didn't just give Moses the report. They were anxious to leave his tent and go find as many people as they could to convince them that this was a really bad idea. Like, how in the world, after everything you've gone through, after everything you've seen, after God has remained so faithful in your life, do you come back not only with a negative report, but then you seek out others to infect with your negativity? Run from it. Hide from it. Get away from it. Number five, I, take my, I make myself miserable. Oh, a mindset of fear, an infiltration of fear, an infection of fear in your life will make you absolutely miserable because it inhibits you from living the free life that God has called you to live. Doing things that scare you most doing things that invigorate the very being of your soul, those are the things that make the most. You know why when you go into an office space, or at least in the back in the day, if you still go into an old one, like the old dentist office, they show pictures of people like climbing mountains and walking up crazy things and doing, jumping out of skyscrapers or doing whatever. You know why they show those things? Because they inspire us. Because they make us think of those people who do things that scare them so much. They're like, man, I wish I could do that. Well, newsflash, you can and you should. You should do those types of things. If some of you guys follow me on, on social media, the reason why I post the way I do and I do the things that I do is because when I do things that scare me, I'm alive. God speaks to me. I know sometimes it might be a little bit foolish. Maybe I went a little too far. But the reality is I'm not feeling alive unless I'm doing something that scares me that at least invigorates the being of my soul that God made me to be. That's how he's constructed me. And the truth is, that's how he's constructed you as well. The other morning when I woke up and I saw snow coming down, I'm like, ooh, this would be a great opportunity to ride my bike. And I did. And there was a lot of like, you know, this is a dumb idea in my mind, but I fought it back. And you know why? Because I knew how I would feel after I did it. I knew that it would, it, would, it would create in me a connection with my maker because that's how he made me. And it's not just a personality trait. It's how he made you. It's how he made every single one of you. He has called us to do the things that scare us most because in those moments, freedom takes place. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, going out and riding your bike or if it's in your business it's taking that step of faith and opening it up. If it's doing something that challenged you at the age of 50 and you're like, man, I, there's no way I can go back to school. I'm not going to do it. Go. I'm not sure if that girl over there is really going to be interested in me. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say anything. Go say it. <laughs> you have to do the things that scare you because in most cases, those are the things that God is telling you to do in order to fulfill the vision of goodness that he has for your life. 
That's why when he called the Israelites to go take the land and he showed them, look, these are the things that you're going to have, but there's going to be some things you're going to have to do you don't want to do. But I'll promise you, if you do them, that land, that relationship, that healing, that prosperity, it's on the other end of doing the thing that scares you most. Here it is. It's the antidote. If fear is the poison to your life, then the antidote to that is faith. It is stepping out and doing things that are beyond your comprehension. Trusting the Lord to carry you every single step of the way. Embracing the most scariest of moments in your life. Wondering to yourself, what would be if I actually did that God told me to do? Imagine thinking that, knowing that, and for many of us, we don't have to imagine it. We've done it. We, 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 we've, we've taken those steps. But we've also had moments in our life where we knew the unction of the Holy Spirit was moving in us. We knew there was a calling on our lives, and we decided that's not going to be for me. It's going to be too hard. I'm too scared. I'm too old. I'm not educated enough. I'm not experienced enough. There's too many people out there already doing it. They don't need me. I mean, look at her. She's an accomplished artist. She has all these degrees. and He's a five-time world champion. Why would they want to hear from me about motivation? There's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody out there who's doing greater things. But the only thing that's separating you from them is your ability to live without fear. They've only gotten to where they're at because at some point in their lives, it clicked here that what God made them to be, he will give them what they need in order to be that. They just keep stepping. They just keep walking. I have no business being in the position I'm in oftentimes. You have no business. Look at your life. Look how God has blessed you. Look at the things that you've done, <laughs> the mistakes that you've made. But yet here this morning, you sit under the sound of my voice, worshiping a king that loves you, blessed, highly favored, surrounded by people that will go to war with you, that will battle on your behalf, that will lift you when you're tired, that will comfort you when you're, when you're sad. There's routes that are being decided every moment of every day in your life. This morning, which route will you take? Will you be an overcomer? Or will you allow fear, fear to infiltrate your life again? Will you go to where it is you know you should be? Or you stay mediocre and average and safe? The antidote is faith this morning. This is what Caleb did. After the doubters shared their negativity and spread the, the gossip and the, and the negative word of how this will never happen, how it's too big, we can't do it. Caleb silenced the people, the Bible says. He hushed them. 
He hushed him. Stop. Quiet. Enough. Enough. Before Moses and he said, we should go at once, right now, and take possession of the land. This we can certainly do. Joshua in the same tone, backing him up, he said, we saw the land for ourselves and it is very good. And here's the key, if we just obey, if you just obey the Lord, he will surely give to you the land that is flowing with milk and honey. He will surely give to you the restored family. He will surely give to you the promises, the jobs, the healing, the prosperity, the peace that passes understanding that he promised you. If you will just obey him, if you will just do the thing that's scaring you the most, if you'll just take the leap and trust God, The Lord is on your side this morning. We worship it all, all first half of the service. You are faithful. We lifted our hands and declared how good God is to us. But now it's time to take the next step and put our words into action. Become a doer of the word. Start stepping out this year in 2023 and start doing my, my good friend, Nick, I, I'm stealing this phrase. He said, this is, this is a new year. It's not a new year, new you. It's a new year, new do. We've got to start doing the word. We've got to start practicing what it is that we know. All this book knowledge, all this scripture knowledge, all this shouting each other down. Like, look, okay. But the more I read, the smarter I get. And I'm like, maybe I should just stop reading. Maybe I should just start doing because all the knowledge that I have won't mean much if I don't start actually functioning in it. If I don't actually start doing it and obeying what the Lord is telling me to do. Come on, if you believe that this morning, stand up on your feet with me. Here's some practical ways to do that. You're already doing it. I know a lot of you are here, but you gotta do, you gotta do more. You surround yourself with people who have a positive mindset. They're the type of people like Pastor Troy who, who don't just push back on fear. They literally eviscerate fear. They gut it. You know what that means? It means to debow. It's a violent word to eviscerate fear. And you run away from people who are negative. Like, look, I'm running away from you. I gotta love you, but I gotta go. I just can't stay here. Like, I'm sorry that you're there, but I can't, I can't be here. I can't save you. <laughs> Only Jesus can. I got to go. I got to go find my 4125. I got to get to CNC right now. I got to be around people who are going to lift me up and tell me it's possible. Who are going to help me get there. Who are going to lift my arms and tell me, bro, look, you're doing it. You're doing it. Now listen, let's go do more. Tell me, what's the vision you have for your life? What's God telling you? Yeah, listen, that's an incredible vision. Here's how we're going to get it done. Here's how we're going to get it done. Let me introduce you to my boy, Brian. Like, he's the man for that area. We're going to make it happen. We're going to build this together. We're going to take the land together. We're going to obey the Lord, and in return, he is going to bless us.
This is your moment right here to take the first step towards fully grasping, towards fully embodying the vision that God has for you. This is, this is actually it right here. For real, like tangibly. This is the moment. There's altar ministers that are coming to the stage right now. They're coming to the altar. The first step to taking the land that God has promised you, the first step to living in the vision that you see that He's given you for your life will require you to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Will require you to recommit yourself to depending on Him wholeheartedly in every area of your life. It's an action item though this morning, so I'm gonna challenge you. Sometimes we'll let you get, you know, just bow your head, everybody pray. Sometimes we'll just lift a hand, let me see it, acknowledge it. Well, this morning, I'm gonna challenge you even more. I'm gonna tell you this. I'm gonna tell you that you need to take a step, a physical step, and get to this altar this morning, right here, right now. And declare to the devil, <laughs> Declare to the giants in your life that no longer will I live in fear. No longer will I allow the enemy to lie to me and tell me that I'm not enough. That I don't have what it takes. That nobody will listen to me. That I don't deserve it. But today is the day that changes my life forever, for all eternity. Today is the day that I put Jesus first, that I obey him. And then I see the fulfillment of the vision that God has for me in my life. Amen? Come on. If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray for you. But I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to come up here. I want you to pray with one of these elders, one of these prayer partners. And I want you to change your life forever here today. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, today is the day of no more fear. Today is the day that I step forward into your vision for my life. And first things first, God, you can repeat after me, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. From this day forward, I will put you first. From this day forward, I will obey what you tell me and only you. I am yours, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, before you go that way, come this way. If you need prayer this morning for anything, these folks up here, these folks up here, these are the ones that have established for me, for my sons, for your children, for your families, an undeniable testimony that declares Jesus is Lord. They're, they're the ones you can rely on to support you, to pray for you, to hold you. If you need prayer, please come forward. Listen, live right, love everybody, and pray hard. We'll see you guys right back here on Wednesday. We love you.